0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mike Rosehart Show. I am live here with this new cool, how cool that is, light. Um, I have a little ring light that I got uh, for free through a strange turn of events. But um, anyway, what are we going to talk about this week? This week we're going to talk about, you know, the future of um where i think the real estate market's heading some of my plans for you know what i think i might be doing next um we'll talk about i think some things related to financial planning some things related to real estate um but yeah let's just uh, leave it to whatever questions you guys have as well so if you have any questions shoot them in the comments uh it is of course movember and so i am growing a little of movember handlebar uh, for men's health and men's awareness, so feel free to donate to that cause. Last week, I raised a couple hundred dollars for the Boys and Girls Club, and I'm still in an ongoing effort to raise funds for that. So those are two uh, things that I think are important, and that explains why I look like a, a goon with a little handlebar um, mustache thing going on right now. So apologies for that at the outset for anyone who's like, what the hell. Uh, hopefully this new edition of this light is going to add a little bit of value to the stream. Seems to be alright. I can turn it up and I can turn it down. It's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Um, yeah. So anyway, where were we? Um, talking about what I plan to do next towards the end of the stream. So stay tuned for that. I will. Uh, I'll give you a preamble with. You've seen me post videos about how I'm tired of landlording, you've seen me post videos how. Um, I'm finding that the real estate market right now is hotter than it's ever been. I think there's opportunities to cash out. That said, there's a ton of immigration, a ton of low interest rate environment factors pushing strongly for real estate to continue to do well. So uh, that aside, I'm going to focus on high value tasks that are, I guess, one that I enjoy and two that you know um, I find are striking that intersection between mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And I think that's the big one I struggle with. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you know, I have a purpose on this planet and I might be good at certain things, but you know, what do you have full autonomy over? And I think when you're a landlord, you're a slave to your tenant. When you're an entrepreneur, you're a slave to your employee and your customer, right? So there's just, it's finding that way to actually have passive system set up. And everyone talks about, you know, passive. Um, real estate ownership isn't passive. Managing property managers isn't even passive. And most certainly, if you have employees, it is not passive. Um, but anyhow, uh, I'll get into some of that in a bit, and what my plans are. And you know, I think honestly, the most passive level of of income you can really attain is the dividend from a company you have no control in. That's the ultimate because you invest in publicly traded companies, you get a set dividend. Call it like Enbridge. You know, the, the top uh, utility companies, the top banks, they pay five, six, seven, eight percent dividends right now for doing nothing. That's the doing nothing option. Then there's like private lending, which is you know, you go through a mortgage broker, they do all the work, do all the paperwork. You go through a MEC, a mortgage investment uh, corporation, and they do all the paperwork. You just give them their money, and they invest it for you, pay you an eight 10% return. That's super passive too. And then there's like the next level, which is you handing it to individual people, in which case you have to do the paperwork, and there's a bit of um, complexity in finding people to do all that. And then I'd say there's like varying degrees into entrepreneurship, and. And yeah, the more control you have, the more responsibility on your shoulders and the more stress and therefore the less passive the investment, but the better the return uh, overall you should be receiving. Hey Rob, how you doing? Cooper, good to see you on. Prappa says, hey Mike, how do you approach tenants when attempting to cash for keys or turning a unit over? What do you say? Well, this is a tough one. I think that it depends on the situation. There are so many different ways to go about a situation where you're not sure how to proceed with a you know, let's say you have a unit that has needs major overhaul, you could use the M13 approach, which is legitimately serving notice saying, hey, in 120 days, I'm evicting you because I need to renovate this unit with a building permit, and it's substantial. So it could be you have knob and tube in a building and your insurance company forces you to get the tenants out to uh, basically remediate that issue, in which case you'd need an electrical permit to remove all of the electrical and uh, so that, that's something that you would need to have a tenant out to do. They can't live there while their walls are being ripped open and the wires are being replaced. If it's a short-term thing, then they have the right to move back in. In most cases, tenants don't because they go and find another place to live and they don't wanna come back. You know, They don't wanna have to come back three and a half months from now when it's you know available. They wanna come back you know, six or eight months or a year whenever their next lease is up, right? So the timing almost never works out. So tenants almost never come back in, but they do in some cases have the chance to do that. If you, renovate, if you renovate and change the unit substantially, then they don't have the right to move back in. I'll give you an example. If you have a bachelor unit and you turn it into a one bedroom, it's not the same unit that they had before. And so they don't have the right to move back in at the same rent. You can reno evict in Ontario, legally speaking, and change the unit from say, imagine it was a three bedroom to now a four bedroom. Or imagine it was a uh, main floor and you finished the basement and now it's like a duplex. It's a different unit than it was before and they would not have the right to move back in. That's a legal way Go about doing it. On the cash for keys side, it's my favorite approach. It is completely legal and it is you coming to an agreement with um, a tenant and let's say you're buying it, you're moving into it and you don't want to go through the court process. You just want to have a, you know, you both agree and you sign a form and they basically agree to leave and you agree to give them some sort of compensation. uh, And that's the best way to do it is where everyone's in agreement. You want both parties to be in agreement. Battling in court is the worst. You don't want conflict between landlord and tenant. Landlords don't want it because then their properties get damaged and it's tons of drama. And tenants don't really want it either. They just want to enjoy their life. They want to have a place to live and everyone wants to be happy. So cash for keys is a great way because maybe you could say, hey, um, I need to get in here and renovate this unit. It's got this and this issue, or I want to own or occupy this unit or whatever. And you could serve them the N12 notice and evict them and then move in the unit. That is a legal way you could do that. If they refuse to, to agree to your terms, you could just serve them and say, hey, I'm moving into the unit. They get X amount of time, you pay them one month's rent that's it. Or you can mediate with them and say, hey, I have $2,000 cash here if you're willing to leave on X date and you agree to that willingly. And in most cases, that's the way to do it. And you have that conversation with them. If you help them find a new place to move and maybe you subsidize their last month's rent or you help them pay for moving costs, there's lots of ways you can, you can do it there to, to do that. I'm sort of out of that now. I, I don't get involved in that anymore. It's It's really a stressful conversation to have when you're uprooting someone. I leave that to property management for the most part these days. Um, But yeah, I mean, the conversation just has to, you got to find a common ground with the tenant and and come to a reasonable uh, agreement, right? Looks good. I don't know if that's true, but it's for a good cause. You need a backdrop. This is true. We have a completely barren back wall with nothing. Um, So a backdrop would be a good idea some point but I'm lazy and I manage the time to literally you know I I just go live Um, I don't treat this like a business like every other youtuber that I see on here Um, you know like Matt matt has got editors and full-time people and he's building a business around it and same with Graham and Kevin and all the guys who are friends of mine are doing this they're doing it to the next level and maybe 2021 is the year where I go back to doing this in a professional capacity I literally take my phone and now we have this ring light. I have a camera, but the pain to set up my $2,000 camera and lens system and connect it to my laptop and stream that way, it's, I just don't want to waste the time going through all of that. So that's why my production quality isn't as good as it should be. Um, I should set that up because once it's set up and it's easy, I could just plug and play my laptop in, and if it was already set, and I don't do anything else with this room, I could easily turn this room into a studio. It's just the time to do it, and the energy and, I guess, motivation, really, to do it. I've been doing other things that are more important, which is one of those things is selling a lot of our properties off. I'm still acquiring new properties. I just acquired a sixplex. We also acquired a really nice duplex near, our duplex conversion property near, uh, or we are acquiring, it's under contract and firm. But uh, we're acquiring that one I'm really excited for those two deals to close. And there's some more deals in the pipeline. So I still jump on the odd property here or there. But uh, by and large, I'm looking to dispose of the majority of my portfolio. I'd like to be less than, you know, I'd like to have half the properties that, a third of the properties that I had at the peak of this year. So it'd be nice to get down to a point where there's just less responsibility um, and just more, I guess, wherever there's an opportunity for me to have little stress and good return, I'd keep the property. As an investor, did you invest in stocks too or just real estate? Uh, I invest in, I have a stock portfolio as well. Um, NVIDIA has been up, it's been doing pretty well. I invest in, uh, in other things, private companies, public companies um, beyond just real estate. I do like real estate. It has an edge that most other, um, I guess businesses don't have. You can get it in the business world, but with real estate, you can buy an asset far under value and very quickly add value to it. With a business, you have elements, uh, human elements, like employees and, and scale issues where it's hard to realize gains quickly. With real estate, it's so, there's so much standardization. It's easy to sell. It's got a lot of liquidity. Um, you can find a buyer pretty quick in a market like this where it's a business you might be stuck holding it for years trying to turn or flip a business, right? So it's just a different ball of wax. Both are great. Um, there's lots of different pillars and ways to invest. Like I talk about the lending arms, I talk about you know buying private businesses, obviously the stock play um, and within stocks there's like the dividend play and there's the capital appreciation plays and there's the penny stocks and there's the you know the ETF play where it's diversified and there's the, the blue chip large stuff too um, you can build a cool portfolio that's quite diversified and then within real estate there's a ton of different plays you can make you can make the land plays you can make um, the multifamily plays the large multifamily plays the single family plays there's so many different playbooks to work along um, yeah hope you're doing well oh, yeah thank you uh, just saying but I personally don't care Hold <laughs> oh, the backdrop thanks appreciate that be a man and grow a beard like Matt <laughs> I don't think I'll ever have a beard like Matt I, I actually was trying from November I had like a, a chin beard going it was like a go- goatee you call it and um, my goatee grows pretty thick and it was itchy as hell like the little hairs were getting everywhere I, I just can't stand it I, I find it repulsive when I look in the mirror that's just me Um, when I'm eating food, it's kind of gross. Even this mustache, like literally I had a piece of food, like touched the hairs here and it, it, I'm only doing this for November. Um, it's proven that people trust clean shaven men at much higher rates. They get further. uh, They do better. Uh, statistically speaking, it's just, just better to not have a big gangly beard, but to each their own, like Matt's in his own level of fire and. That's cool, he can do what he wants. I could grow a beard, I guess, and it wouldn't matter. But for me, it's just a, the feeling. I just uh, don't like the feeling. To be honest, it's kind of patchy anyway, like I don't know if you guys can see, but I, I can grow a beard, but it's not, it's not the best. It's not the best. I wouldn't be able to grow a nice beard like Matt has. Mine's kind of patchy. I've done like a couple of pictures once where I had a beard and it wasn't the best. I look better clean shaven, I'll be honest. Uh, Next one, Parappa says, what are your thoughts on buying a good deal in a really bad area? Is the stress worth the extra cash flow? You know, that depends on where you are in your journey, right? I think that there were times in my life where the answer was yes, and there's times in my life where the answer is no. Um, How good is the deal, for one? Two, um, what are you going to have to deal with with that deal? It might be a really, really nice property in the wrong, let me adjust this down it might just be a really nice property in the wrong area. And you might get great tenants because this property's finished really, really nice. And despite being at the ghetto, it might do well for you. You might have good tenants that aren't a problem. Um, So there's so many factors that come into play, but depending on the deal, it can make sense to take down a property in the wrong area. That said, let's not forget the first rule of real estate, cash flow. No, I'm kidding. First rule of real estate is location, location, location. The second rule is cash flow. Um, the land in which your property is on is, is the most important thing, and so there are good pieces of land in bad areas that have great development potential, or you know, whatever. So I can't stereotype or generalize, but yeah, I mean, it depends on where you're at in your journey. Some people are like, hey, um, you know, I'm at a certain point where my time is so valuable that I don't want to be dealing with the riffraff tenant in the bad area and the break-ins and all the stuff that goes along with those East End, you know, rougher ghetto-type area properties. And then there are other investors who are like, hey, I don't mind that extra stress, I'm getting double the cash flow and that's worth it to me. I've found in my personal experience that vacancy expense, bad debt expense, bad debt expense is when tenants don't pay rent, um, damages, capex and maintenance are about double on a C-class property in a bad area to an A property in a good area. So just expect that you're gonna have double the delinquencies, double the vacancy period, um, double the damage when they move out, sometimes triple, quadruple, uh, the, the capex, as in, like things break quicker, uh, people don't take care of them as well, so that's just something to think about when you're in the lower tier of real estate investing. So there are pros and cons, and when you adjust for all that, you might find that the cash flow is not that much better. People talk about the the gross rents being so great, or they talk about you know what they're getting every month in rent, but they're not talking about a year from now when the tenants destroy the unit, and they spend twenty thousand dollars in the unit fixing it up, and they're not talking about the one-time expenses that keep popping up more frequently in the call it low tier, C tier type properties to the A tier, high quality premium product in the premium area. That's something to think about. And I guess stress is a big one too. Do you want to deal with a high quality tenant that is a fantastic person? Or do you want to deal with a guy who's got a needle in his arm, he's complaining to you and you're fighting with that, right? There might be some more conflicts and drama. So you got to factor that into your decision too. And for some people getting away from the nine to five job, they say it's worth it. okay next question good evening how you doing I'm finally getting out of the not out of my business nine-to-five partnership is there a way of selling my half without paying capital gains Rob um, you know isn't there a, I don't know the, the ruling on this specifically but I know there's a one-time capital gains exemption for small business owners and when you sell your business shares then you'd be exempt from tax up to a maximum. I think it's 850,000. Again, I'm not familiar, but you have to look it up. There is a, a one-time capital gains exemption. And so I'd look into that for sure. Um, yeah, let me, let me think here. Um, maybe you could structure, and if that didn't work, maybe you could sell the whole business and he could rebuy, like spin it into another corp or something right with all the same rights and whatever and then you both could have a one-time like you and your partner could both have a one-time capital gains exemption um, maybe that would work I don't know you have to talk to an accountant about that you could maybe get creative with how you structured things maybe you didn't take it as a capital gain maybe you took it as a salary over some time which I don't think that would make sense because capital gains are preferred tax rates um, only half inclusion here in Canada. same with taking it as a as interest over time if you structured it as debt I don't think that would be preferable either because capital gains have a preferred tax rate. Uh, There's no way to get out of tax. Um, You got to pay your fair share, right? There are ways to get smart with how you structure it, but um, if you you actually have a capital gain, you are probably have to pay a little bit of tax. Uh, What type of questions do you ask? And by the way, congrats on that. That's awesome to be getting bought out and and getting a nice buyout, uh, some cash in hand, right? Not having to be stuck to the nine to five even if it's your own business. In fact, if it's your own business, it's worse. I would say a nine to five job is better because you get to shut it off at five o'clock when it's nine to five. As an entrepreneur, you get home at five o'clock. You're still thinking about work. You're stressed about it. Your livelihood depends on it with the job. You don't care, right? Most people just shut it off when they get home, they get weekends off. It's almost better to go that route. If you're getting paid the same, I would definitely choose the salaried route to the entrepreneur route. What type of questions do you ask the listing agent when calling to inquire about a property for sale? Okay, so it depends on the property that I'm inquiring about, right? Um, it's They're very targeted questions in most cases. There's no general list of questions that I would ask, but a, a basic you know, understanding of what the seller is looking for, that's the place I usually start. I've already, in most cases, when I call my, the listing agent, I've typically already researched the property. So I know if there's been permits, I went and called the city and looked into that. And you know, there's a website, you can go check it out and I've driven by the property or at least gone on Street View, I've looked at all the past listings and all the information that I can. So when I call, I'm already ready to go. So if they've done their job properly, the listing agent should have already had all the rental income in there, all the important details. So you might wanna you know, ask some specific questions, some targeted questions. depends on whether you've already seen the property or not. Um, if you haven't seen the property, then you're gonna have to go see the property and then ask targeted questions because you don't wanna sound like an idiot. And if you haven't seen the property, then what's the point in wasting everyone's time asking such targeted questions? You don't know if you want it yet until you've seen it. Um, but I, yeah, just finding out more information for me about the seller. So I like to find out you know, what kind of closing date that they're looking for. Uh, is a fast close important, is a, is, do they don't care? Uh, is there any particular condition that's important to them? Do they you know, do they want to leave stuff behind in the property? Do they want it to be cleaned out? Can I negotiate something to be thrown in? Um, what kind of seller am I dealing with? The more information I can find on them, the better. And sometimes I'll write a cover letter uh, with my offer. And so the more information I can get from the listing agent, the more I can know about the seller. Then as a buyer, I can craft my offer to that uh, seller. In some cases, that means uh, being able to target if they have kids. And I have kids, we have a common ground there. I might put that in the offer that I'm planning to owner-occupy this and my kids are going to love it and whatever. You can play it up, right? So it just depends on the situation. There are lots of things you can do to get uh, creative and to give yourself a competitive edge in the, in the process. Were those deals fully vacant? Um, the one was completely vacant, the other one is partially vacant. Again, I'm partnering on the deals that I'm acquiring now, I'm bringing on a partner. So any new deals that I take on, for the most part, I'm bringing a mentee on. And so I'm not actively involved, I have, they're the property management, right? And I'm, I'm the passive partner, so I'm looking more in London to find people who are want to be the active, and I'm more the passive money partner. I bring deal, I bring money, they bring management. And I'll help a little bit, but I don't want to be involved in day to day anymore. Uh, hi Mike, how's it going? Good, thank you for asking Mr. Mikkel. G Greedy says, in your opinion, how difficult is it to build a 16-plex building? I'm new to all this and I only have one property that I converted from single family into duplex, but I saw land in a nice area and I'm tempted hmm you know I've never taken on a build of a 16 plex I think that would be a complot more complex build I did a new build in 2015 and that was just a single family house like a couple thousand square feet and I've been through the development process too with I, I bought a parcel of land and I severed it into four quarter acre lots and we did like the million dollar cottage play and going through that process with bringing services into the, and just going through that whole uh, severance process, I can tell you it takes years and it's a pain in the ass and you have very little control and there's a lot of the chance and it wasn't for me. I like, you know, the tried and true model where it's consistent and every month I'm improving. With land development, you go five years with nothing and then a big spike when you get an approval. It's like, boom, now the land's worth like triple. So it's a lot more speculation, a lot more, um, you need to have deeper pockets to take on a project like that. So if you have one property, it might be way too big of a project for you to take on as your second property project, right? That's something that, like a 16-unit building is, depending on the size of each unit, I guess it it depends. If it's 16 micro-units, that's different than 16 three-bedroom apartments, right? Um, But that's a significant, substantial project, and it's hard to finance. So you need deep pockets. It's a lot of cash to tie up. It can be a big lift if you know what you're doing. So if you have built a bunch of these before and you've got the economies of scale and the connections to the building contacts and the trades, and you've got you know, the connection to the, you know, the land development playbook, and the land's pretty cheap to begin with, and you run your numbers and you're sure of it, then it could be a great play. Um, for myself, I think there's too much risk and not enough return. For the guys who are doing that, who have you know, the, the contacts in the, the building space and they have the, the experience, it can make sense. They have economies of scale. They've done it a few times and their margins are tighter. Um, Or sorry, their margins are are bigger because their costs are tighter and they've just got a more streamlined process I don't think I could deliver a better return building a 16-unit building than I could just buying You know six flexes and fixing those up. I think I would get a much better return doing that. That's just me That's just my set of experiences Maybe there's a play there. I don't know Next question How do you deal with FOMO? You know what? You shut. You put horse blinders on and you don't look. Uh, <laughs> FOMO is fear of missing out, right? And I get it too. It's tough. You see so many people in this space doing so many cool things. I follow people who are entrepreneurs who are crushing it. I follow people who are, um, you know, in the real estate space and they're just doing so amazing. I follow wholesalers and I follow friends that are working in the in the career space. And I look at everyone and there's so many different perspectives. Good night. Thank you. Hey Mike, thanks for your advice. No problem. Happy to help. Um, it's tough. You know, I think that, um, you avoid that by looking internally and saying, Hey, I'm making a set of choices every day and I'm trying to live the best life that I can. And if you're not, if you're finding that, Hey, you sit down you're like, Hey, I actually want to choose this path. What person over here is doing is better. Try it. If the grass is greener, cool. Most often you'll find the grass isn't greener on the other side, but that's not to say you shouldn't pivot and and live a slightly different life. If you want to, I'm always pivoting. And improving and that's, that's that's being human that's living your best life hi Mike I live in a very expensive city of Honolulu Hawaii the standard numbers here for a single-family house don't fit your 1% rule to value criteria cash flow is possible Airbnb in Hawaii and then redo the numbers yeah not bad there's probably a way to make it work if you Airbnb'd or you increase the number of units you bought a property that was a single family you converted a duplex maybe there's a way with two units or three units you can make it work I don't the legalities in Hawaii, but that could be a way to get it done. Increased densification of the building, more units to rent out, will give you a better cash flow. But yeah, it's tougher in those in those markets to really um, have the kind of cash flow that we have here. And even in London, it's getting tougher and tougher to have good cash flow. I'm finding that I don't always meet the 1% rule on deals that I'm taking down. and I'm making sacrifices because I love the game and it's not as much about the cash flow for me anymore. I'm... If I have a building that doesn't, it's a half a percent rule, let's say, but there's a lift play on it where I can make 250000 net worth gain. I'm all about that. I don't need the cash flow as much as I do the net worth growth, right? I can afford to eat for a long time without the building paying me anything, right? So that's something that um, as you are an investor and what stage you're in, it'll change. At any rate, I don't think Airbnb necessarily is as steady as a tenant. That is true. It is not. A lot more work for Airbnb. That is true, there's a lot more work. And the idea here is passive income. Yes, a lot of real estate investors are jumping on and saying, look at my Airbnbs, look what I'm doing here with this short term rental, this student rental strategy. And it's not passive, it's, it's semi-passive. It's sort of a business. Uh, You've hit the nail on the head, but it's better than a nine to five in most cases. It depends on the person, I guess. For some people it isn't. Uh, he'll explain, but i look into what is classified as commercial. Um, yeah, you could look at a commercial too, potentially. There are lots of different avenues of real estate investing you could get involved in. You could finance real estate, like you could provide a private mortgage to a flipper and go 75% to value or something and get a 10% rate of return for no work at all. And they de- they deal with the real estate, they take the risk, they default, you just put the property up for sale, get your money back. Their equity's on the line, not yours, because you're pretty safe. You're in first secured mortgage position. Their down payment's at risk, but your money's pretty safe, and you're investing in real estate in that way, but you're not actively dealing with anything. And it might be the same kind of return from a cash flow perspective. You put 100 grand in, 10% return is almost a thousand bucks a month, right? It's 10 grand a year. So you're pretty close um, to the kind of numbers you could be getting in in Honolulu. Really appreciate your honesty, love your show, keep it up and take care. Thank you, appreciate the the feedback. What do you think about the long-term prospects of investing in small cities like Brantford, Guelph, and Barrie? Um, You know, I think there's a driving force for people to move out of the major metropolitans where things are more affordable and that is actually true for places like Barrie. People will continue to move out of the peripherals of downtown Barrie, let's say, right, or Guelph, you know, move out of the downtown of Guelph and seek cheaper. Um, As, you know, Elon Musk's Wi-Fi internet super fast is going to be spread across all of Canada, the rural areas will no longer have that barrier to entry. There will be, you know, fast access speed. People want to live out, you know, 15 minutes outside of town because they can't have Amazon deliver their groceries to their whatever, right to their door. And so you don't need to live in the city anymore. You can have food delivered to you, whatever. And so there's less of a need to want to be right downtown, especially in this post-COVID world. So I think, yeah, it's... um. I don't know. I think the smaller towns are posed to grow faster than the large metropolitans. I think low interest rates are stimulating the economy. And as long as things stay low and cheap, that'll be a boon to the overall strategy, um, real estate investing strategy. So I, I think overall outlook is good. That said, um, I don't know the future of real estate is going. I think investing for cash flow is still the most important piece. I don't have a crystal ball though. Second question, could you elaborate a bit on private lending? In videos, you said steady 15% annual returns is achievable. This is true. It is achievable. Um, you continued on. One million in cash, you would even bother buying real estate? Or would you just private lend and get 150000 every year completely passive? It's a good question. Depends on the person, right? Um, I have more than a million, and I still invest in real estate, right? Because I believe that I can get a higher than 15% return when I'm in control of the project. And I like it. It's almost you know buying real estate sometimes for me is like collecting Pokemon cards like or collect, or whatever like any t- type of type of collection like a watch collection. I just I see a fine piece of real estate that's in my hood and I just want to pick it up and own it for collection purposes, right? For empire building, for legacy reasons, sometimes I want to acquire um, properties. And so there's something to be said about acquiring some real estate. But yeah, I mean the if you were adjust for return on time, return on stress, and you put appreciation down to 2% average benchmark, which is where it was for like 50 years, historically speaking, over the long term. Forget the last five years, it's been retarded how fast things have grown. And a lot of that is um, currency, inflation, devaluation um, in terms of real dollars. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a decision for each person, right? A, a 15% annual return, which you can get with private lending. You, you can get pretty consistent, 12, I think it depends on the level of risk you're going to take, right? If you want a super, super safe investment, then like eight to 10%. If you're willing to take a little bit more gamble, you know, invest in some sort of, you know, flipper or whatever, you might get 15%. Or if you're doing some lender fees built in and stuff like that on private mortgages, you could sometimes get up to 15% return, especially in this low interest rate environment. It's it's more difficult to achieve that 15% target than it was even eight months ago, nine months ago. So it's, it's more difficult with so much cheap money out there right now, but um, yeah, that's a tough decision. I think with a million bucks in, in real estate, you'd probably get less than 150,000 a year in cash flow, but then you get another 150,000 probably in appreciation every couple of years, right? And so that's a big piece. It's like, hey, can I get a lot of value out or forced appreciation? Does that outweigh the smaller cash flow that I'm getting? But if it's just about cash flow, if you just want to retire and live on a million bucks, private lending will probably give you more than real estate will. But real estate is going to build your net worth faster. You know what I mean? So it depends. Is your goal to grow that million to 10? Or is it just to maintain the million with a little bit of inflation growth power and just have a six-figure passive income? In which case, private lending will get you there way more passively and a lot less stressfully. I tend to pivot towards wanting to do private lending myself. When i'm old enough to deal with real estate what do you think i should do with my family's 1.5 million dollar house well it depends um if your family's living there you can't quite just sell it on them but maybe you could find a way to downsize them maybe you could find a way to refinance the capital out and put it to work hey no problem ma'am happy to help um yeah so i guess that's a pretty targeted tough question okay we got another two minutes of rapid lightning round hey mike thanks for all your advice no problem jason happy to help good night w Jason says, should I take an 80K line of credit at 2.95 and invest in real estate at nine to 10% to make spread plus it's going to double. So you're saying the real estate is going to double, I guess, your down payment. Uh, Or what's the second half of the question? There was no second half of the question. I guess it was just that, should you do that? Uh, I mean, yeah, if you have the risk tolerance for it, then that seems to make pretty good sense. I know I have the risk tolerance to go take money at 3% and invest it and make a 10 or 15% return and live on the spread. Most of what I do is live on the spread. That's what everyone in real estate does, basically. That's why we borrow mortgages at 2% against real estate assets that appreciate at, say, 3%, and the cash flow, typically a return on asset of 7%, 8% in my market. And some of the major metropolitans you get a 5 or 6% return on asset. And so the spread between the cost of debt, let's call it 2%, 3%, and the return on asset, if you bought property in cash, uh, from the net income from rental income, Uh, would be about the spread of between 3 and 7%. That's what we live on as real estate investors. That's how you make cash flow. If you bought real estate in cash, there wouldn't be that, there is no spread. Uh, In most cases, the cost of the private money or the cost of your money is more expensive than the return on the asset. And so I don't have an appetite for real estate unlevered. When was the last time you bought a home off the MLS and is it realistically possible for a novice to buy below market value from the MLS? Harriet, I bought a property on the MLS this week. Three days ago, I bought a sixplex on MLS, and it was extremely, in my opinion, underpriced in a great area. It was on MLS for a day, and I snapped it up. Um, yeah, I'm super proud of it. I just bought one. It's under $550,000 in London, so I was paying $90,000 a unit in an A-plus location. Uh, it has some issues; it needs to be remediated. But there's such a huge lift on this building. I'm super excited. All the time, all the time, there are deals on MLS. Uh, is typically the stuff that's either sat for a long time or freshly listed. Those are the two places where I find the most deals. Freshly listed especially. I get in there quick and I act with no conditions. Cash offers. What is your opinion on the Windsor market? Overvalued in my opinion, but people get better cash flow than London. I think the market fundamentals of Windsor are worse in every way than London. I think the cap rates, given how fast Windsor has appreciated, now I think Windsor isn't as good of an opportunity as it was a year or two ago. I think it's mostly priced out, but if you have a competitive edge there or some reason you want to invest there because you've got connections, it could make sense. Um, Toronto can make, like if I was in Toronto and I had the connections I have here in Toronto, I'd be investing in Toronto because I have an edge. That's what's important is, is having that edge. But if you're picking a market to invest in, um, Windsor's far from everything. And I don't know, I don't know, there's a lot of energy going to Windsor right now. So maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe that. Capital pouring into Windsor is will transform Windsor, right? Who knows? I've been wrong before I was wrong about the old East village or east of Adelaide. I showed about all those triplexes for a hundred grand They're now with 400 uh, G greedy interrupted my question and three off you confused my question with his comments. Okay, so I lost the the Questions here, but how do you get cash flow? I think you were talking about in Honolulu. Maybe Is that the question you're talking about I don't see the question here I'll try to scroll up and get caught up yeah you're talking about Hawaii there um the truth is it isn't as good cash flow right and we talked about that um I was asking what would you do an expensive Honolulu via your burn model or would you even bother trying I was not asking about Airbnb at all yeah I mean I saw the comment about Airbnb right and I think that um you're not going to get as good cash flow in major metropolitans like Honolulu. It's a beautiful place to live. People are you're, you're bidding against people who just want a nice place on the you know on the island there, and uh, sometimes the market doesn't make sense from a cash flow perspective, right? Um, you could still burr in any market, any market you can burr, right? So there's just got to find that opportunity, find that edge, and take advantage of it. As far as cash flow, it sounds like there's not as good cash flow there. I I don't know the market well, but if there isn't good cash flow, maybe it makes sense to do like a burr and your goal is just to break even and pull the equity out and build your net worth that way and then eventually pivot into lending once you have enough capital. You could do appreciation type value add plays as well. Okay. Next question. Mike, do you use a three tier structure for holding your properties? Can you please share your knowledge on this? No, I don't. Um, I don't have a three tier structure. I have a two tier structure. Um, yeah, you better, like that'd be a whole 20 minute question just for me to get into that. And I'm not by any means an expert on corporate structure or accounting, you know, tax law, but, and because it's changed so much and the rules continue to change, my knowledge is, is pretty dated, but my working understanding is, and I've touched on this in previous episodes is that if, you, if you're in the lower marginal tax brackets, call it 10, 20% tax bracket, you know, let's say you make less than 60 grand a year, don't even talk about a corporate structure, get a good insurance policy that'll cover you and give you all liability protections. Um, you know, At the end of the day, I think that, um, if you're in the top marginal bracket, and you have a good accountant who's going to do all the paperwork for you it can make sense to go through the complexities of structuring a three-tiered um, corporate structure but for most people just starting out doesn't make sense so once you've gone to a certain point it can make sense the cost of keeping the corp alive the cost of you know setting up the corpse the cost of additional financing because financing is more expensive in a corp in most cases excluding the CIBC um the cost of all the extra costs associated with having things inside of the corp uh is offset i think if you're in the low tax bracket it doesn't make sense but if you are in the higher tax bracket definitely like get things in a corp if you're gonna be flipping don't flip in your personal name flip in a corp the active small business rate is like 15 percent tax and so if you're gonna do any flips do them in a corp 100 um yeah so if you're flipping do it in a corp if you're holding, I think hold your personal name, you have better financing terms. If you're not gonna get good financing terms anyway, put in a corp. Um, you'd be the top marginal tax bracket in the corp, but at least it's within the corp. There's some sheltering. So when you want a dividend to yourself, you can have the flexibility to choose in what years you take that income and your personal name. Hey Mike, do mortgage lenders need to know you are turning your primary residence into a rental property? Um, not once the mortgage is funded, I don't think. Um, it's more about at purchase what your intention is in most cases, um, I've never had a mortgage lender ever call and ask, but I didn't even know there's a way to report it. I, I don't even know if there's a number you can call. No one does. Um, yeah. Live in the Muskoka so we're seeing population growth like crazy here. That's awesome. I think people are probably migrating from Toronto and the greater Toronto area because it's a beautiful place to live and they can now work from remotely. I totally agree. It's a beautiful place too. My grandma used to have a a cottage in Muskoka's and she lost it in her uh, divorce separation. It's it's a shame because it was a beautiful place in the water and I miss it. Spent a lot of childhoods there. A lot of childhood summers. Uh, Rick says Hi, Mike. Thoughts on townhouse versus condo as a rental property in the Windsor area? Can't comment. Um, Townhouse versus condo, very, very similar. Townhouses have condo fees in the same way as a condo. If you're talking about a freehold, um, townhouse then that's way better than a condo in my opinion I don't like the condo fees being out of your control they could jack them from 200 to 500 wherever they want they can mismanage the funds you're not in control and so I'm not a big fan of condo investing in general but it can make sense in the major metropolitans I don't think it makes a lot of sense in small towns because you can get cheap single-family houses you talked about real estate development a while back but uh, what about buying one empty lot and a brand new house built on it is there any room to make money doing this there's room to make money, but you as a non-builder, hiring a builder, will, the builder will make most of the margin. So there's not, if you just build one off house, you're not gonna have the same margin that a builder is going to have. So I don't think it makes sense, in my opinion, to go through all the stress and all the capital outlay. If you factor in how much money you have to tie up for that entire build process, because financing is difficult, um, you will have to put a lot more money down. All that money for all that time, I don't think it's worth it, It's my opinion. I haven't seen the returns there on those built projects. Mike, do you think you'll have a real estate crash in the near future here in Ontario? Um, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I hear a lot of people screaming you know, doomsday from the streets, but um, it's hard for a market to really crash. I think as long as interest rates are low, market will be strong. That said, I'm harvesting some gains. I'm selling some properties off. I'm always turning. Properties I have a lot of equity in, I'm, I'm pulling out, right, um, where I can, so. Um, I don't know I don't know I'm always hedging my bets so I'm always selling off things that don't make sense in my portfolio and acquiring new stuff at great prices and if stuff you know creeps down 10% it is what it is as always thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts Most, much appreciated William and Don William no problem happy to help Muneeb says where would you recommend a new investor with a $450,000 budget examine London Ontario Mike is your mentor program still available for newcomers Right now it's closed, um, unfortunately. I have this room that I could I mean I could put someone in this room right here, down here in the in the two bedroom, two bath in my basement. It has you basically get your own bathroom, um, stuff like that, but really the only need I have from a mentee perspective would be someone to do all my bookkeeping and to be like my CFO, um, help with leasing and stuff like that. So that'd be more of a job. I'm looking for someone who wanted to have a free live-in position, but Kind of work part-time for me they could work a full-time job if they wanted to but that would be kind of be what I was looking for I'm not actively looking for it but if the right person came along maybe maybe Um, better to buy a house in cash or borrow against it later isn't the interest rate higher um, yes but if you're doing a burr then the refinancing costs could be more expensive than just buying cash and refinancing with any lender so it can make sense to buy a cash just want to say F, the Residential Tenancy Act and passive income is the way to go. <laughs> Spend less, earn more, and maximize returns was the way to go. Sadly, yeah, the Bill 184 has helped us a little bit here in Ontario, but yeah, the things are not in our favor as landlords. We don't have a lot of power, unfortunately. Uh, your older videos mentioned contacting you if interested in investing with you. Are you still welcoming these offers? Uh, unfortunately, the only way that I would ever. Um, Work with someone today is if they wanted to invest in debt. Um, So what I mean by that is I borrow the money and I personally guarantee it and I give a fixed rate of return. I'm no longer buying with a partner and doing an equity split, it's too much accounting work, it's too much headache, too much accountability where I'm back and forth explaining myself. So the only way I partner on a deal is like, hey, I have a deal, if you wanna fund it, I'll give you 10% rate of return, whatever, and you fund the deal. Um, certain minimums to invest with me, obviously I don't have time to be working with anything s- below six figures, definitely never. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I'm ideally looking for like a seven figure type investor, um, like a million would be ideal, but, um, yeah, I have an, about I have two investors that I work with now and that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to keep it kind of to, to that point. It's nice to have someone I can call when I need to fund a deal and I'll pay a higher interest rate for it and I'll refinance the, the capital out once I finish the project. You know, Sometimes I buy properties that are in bad shape and the lenders don't want to put a mortgage on it now, but in three months from now, it's a beautiful building and they want to, right? So there's a huge lift and then the investor gets a great return. That's what I'm looking for. I don't want to have to um, it's too much accountability having partners, it, it's a lot. And uh, I like to be in, in full control and I don't mind paying a set return, even if it's higher, then what is industry cost? Because I again, it's just easier for me. Anyway, that's that's me. Uh, that's what I'm up to these days. Everyone, stay safe, stay healthy during these times, and I'll see you every you know every single Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. Here I am live. You follow me on Instagram. I'm like Rosehart, and uh, of course, as always, the secret to unlocking wealth through you. There are three levers to your financial freedom. One, spend less, earn more, and maximize returns in the difference. Bye, everyone. Have a good Wednesday.